Hi, and welcome to the Chile Today podcast. I'm Bethany Francis. And I'm Lenny Kluge. We are two immigrants living in Chile, bringing you information on news, cultural topics, travel, business, and more. The Chile Today podcast is the first ever bi-weekly English news podcast. For more information about the news topics you will hear today, check out our news affiliate, chiletoday.cl. If you have any questions, stories to share, or just want to say hi, message us on Instagram at Chile Today Podcast or email us at chiletodaypodcast at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous, rate and review us so that more people can find our podcast. Hey, Lenny, what's up? Hey, Bethany. I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, as you say. Uh, how was your trip to New York? It was eventful. We went to New York, and then we went out of New York, and you know drove around and then went back to new york and then we came back that's it was eventful <laughs> congratulations thank you thank you what was your favorite thing that you did when you were in new york oh that would probably be times square no i'm just bullshitting uh what would do we went to the botanical garden oh flowers flowers yeah we went to i mean we Stay close to Times Square. We didn't really go to Times Square because, like, <laughs> excuse me, we've been there already. I mean, hello. And you go there every year. <sighs> Pretty much, yeah. And, um, geez, what else? Sheesh kebab. What else? Um, we did a lot of things. I can, I can see. Yeah. Riveting. Riveting. I'm just, like, I, you just caught me off guard here. No, but it was nice. Then we just rented a car, drove around a little bit, went all the way up to Plymouth. You went all the way. Well, you know, up there, like, <laughs> the all the way to... Jesus, Bethany, so immature. I know, I know, I know. I'm back to New Haven. actually visited a friend of mine who just moved there to New Haven. He's working at Yale University now. Oh, so as a janitor? So prestigious. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell. Uh, well, I'm glad you had a good time uh, on your trip. Uh, we missed you here. So it's good Aww, that you're you back. Too. Thank you. See, your trip would have been so much more fun yeah. if I had been there. Maybe. Who knows? I would have dragged you to uh, Broadway plays, though. That would have been what I would have done. I love Broadway plays. Broadway plays? Broadway. Yeah, I know what Broadway is. Plays. Musicals. The thing? Yeah, musicals. I know what musicals are. I've been to a musical, too. Yeah, but why are you looking at me like I'm crazy? No, I just, like, I'm going to drag you to Broadway plays. It sounds weird. (laughs) Okay, anyways. So, anyway, so... So, uh, see, join us yeah. on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, that was a really weird th- introduction. But, okay, so, uh, if you guys didn't know, we have a Patreon. We have a $5 and $10 level, level and if you want to support us, you can go there and um, support us there so we can buy new equipment and stuff. Also, there are lots of cool things, especially if you um, are planning to visit chile or you live in chile there are tickets to events throughout the city where you either get some free stuff or you get to discounts on things and there's also tip sheets so for example in may we finished the tip sheets on the best places to eat brunch in the city and there's all reviews there that we ourselves put and giving you all of the scoop of all of those places to go but there's also tip sheets on the best places to eat chilean food and all sorts of things so check that out and uh, we also have some events coming up in the city. What do you have? Well, some event, more like singular. Just one. Yeah, Just one, one event. Point. Which would be the horrible movie night on May 12th. Mm-hmm. Which is 
as we explained in previous episode, is a night where we watch a horrible movie mm-hmm. and laugh and drink and have fun. And it's all for free and you should totally come. It's awful. It's all for free. (laughs) And if you're a patron, you get a free drink. Oh, hell yeah. Um, And uh, we're watching Spice World this year. Spice World! Which, uh, the last time I told some people at one of our events, they're like, that is a great movie. Which, you know, look, some horrible movies can also be enjoyable. We're not saying it's not enjoyable. That's the whole point of a whole movie night. Right? Right? Laugh, enjoy all of these things. But yeah. And I mean, you know, the acting talent of Victoria Beckham is oh, unequal. Man. Oh man, I've never seen Spice World. Me neither, but I'm you know, excited. I'm just assuming. News, Newt Scamander, news. All right. For us? So as usual, I'm going to start this thing off with a COVID-19 update. COVID. COVID-19. COVID All aboard the COVID train. Okay, good news. As of today, well, I think this is actually yesterday's news. So today being the 27th. So as of yesterday, the 26th, we only had 993 new cases, which is the lowest number since December 28th, 2021. Mm-hmm. And the positivity rate now is at 3.77%. Just cross-reference that with my notes from the last episode. And there it was at 5.39. So we're making progress. Which is good. And um, I also, also got to say, I'm kind of surprised, like, now that we're not required anymore to wear masks outside, I kind of, like, expected people just to, you know, like, rip the face mask off their people face are. and just people start burning them. them, like, you know, first wave feminist burning bras, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, nope, as you're saying, like, they're just still wearing them outside, and, you know. I think we're just used to it. I guess so. Yeah. We're, we're used to it. I mean, like, I'll pull mine down, like, right now it's starting to get colder. And I'll pull mine down if my my glasses are fogging up. But like if they're not, I just put put it. I mean, let's just why not that? And you, if you're walking to a destination, yeah. you already know you're gonna have to put it on right. once it's you like get inside. Two blocks inside. away. Yeah, like for example, Diego lives two blocks away from me, so it's like okay, put the mask yeah. on because I have to go down the elevator with a mask to get out of my apartment building. And I'm walking here; it's already on. Right. I'm not thinking about like just ripping it off as soon as I get outside, you know. And then I'm gonna come just in here. Just can't be bothered, right? Yeah. So yeah, people are doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, and we're doing pretty good as you know, as far as the new cases are concerned. I hope this trend continues. Now there is also no change this week under the new paso a paso plan. You know, remember we talked about this last episode. Mm -hmm, I think that they changed mm -hmm, this whole mm -hmm. thing. It only has like three levels. Uh And you know what level we are in? We are right now in the what's it called? The low sanitary. Thing, thing, thing. Impact. Yeah, the low sanitary impact green? level. We're Yellow. green. Like we're we're, green. we're, we're all yeah, we're green. Good. We're all good. So no changes. And uh, remember that last time we said that it wasn't really clear what the criteria are that they're going to use to define who's going to go where. Uh-huh. So they talked about this now. Actually, I went to the website just to look it up. So they say that there are three criteria that define whether a district advances or falls back a level. Now we got. Virus circulation, saturation of the healthcare network, and also the vaccination levels. Now, in terms of the virus circulation, they say the one one criteria is the reproduction rate R. So if it's greater than one, um, district is going to move from low to medium sanitary impact. Uh-huh. The reproduction rate tendency is another criteria. If it's rising, uh, where you're also going to move from low to medium sanitary impact. 
and the number of respiratory and COVID emergency cases, if it's higher than the reference years between 2015, 2019, and the tendency is rising, you're going to move from low to medium sanitary math. impact. Bam, yeah, it's a lot of math. Then you have the saturation of the healthcare network. Now, in that one is the tendency of the COVID-19 related hospitalizations. If that number is rising, you go into phase two, the medium sanitary and impact. And this is all by Comuna as well. Well, I'm gonna, there's a little quirk to that. I'm going to get to that. Quirk. Then there's the regional COVID-19 related ICU occupation. So if you are at a 25% threshold, you're going to medium sanitary impact. If you're 50% threshold, then you're going to high sanitary impact. And then there are the national uh, ICU occupation levels. If they are at 90%, which I thought was quite high, you're going to medium sanitary impact and 95% to high sanitary impact. And last but not least, vaccination levels. If you fall under 80%, you're going from low to medium. And if you fall under 60%, you go to high. So I guess it's like a mix of a lot of these things. Right, math. But, you know, it's kind of like, at least you know a little bit what the criteria are, not like the last time with the, with the old Paso Paso plan. Nobody really had an yeah, idea what was, was going like, on there. Yeah, everybody was like, so are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? Yeah, and like, why? And know? then, like, you would just, like, feverishly check your... F like, for me, it was, like, feverishly checking my phone every Monday and Thursday because I had plans to travel, and for a long time, oh, yeah. we were not allowed to leave the country. Right, and <laughs> or your apartment. So, <laughs> or, yeah, and so it was just like, I have things to do, have people to see, and so you'd feverishly like refresh the page every Monday and Thursday, and now it's much more relaxed and mystical, like, yeah. edible. Nope, that's not what you would say. Um, the digestible? Oh, uh, sure, yeah, there, let's go yeah. with that. Let's <laughs> yeah, go with that, digestible. That, that, right. Yeah. And since you were just asking if it's about like the districts or whatever, so like it seems that the changes are on a district basis because this is how they frame it. They go like, okay, district, this comuna or district, if you will, goes back or forth a step, but the whole thing is really on a province basis. So because most of the indicators are being evaluated on a province level, some even on a regional or a national level. So province as in different administrative levels. So in Chile, we get the smallest administrative level is the district, the comuna. The After comuna, that, you have yeah. the province. Okay. After that, you have the region, and after okay. that is the national overall level. So right. most of the criteria in the new Paso a Paso plan are on a provincial level. And then you have a few that are, for example, the, the COVID-19-related ICU occupation uh, levels are regional, which makes sense because you don't necessarily have a hospital in your district, right? Sure, sure. And um, Or you have eight like some places yeah right right and then also like the national icu okay. occupation levels which as the name already said is, is a national indicator so yeah so basically i think it makes a lot more sense if it's based on the province sure. more than if it's based on a district so sure. there's that now you know these things another thing we have a little the new government launched a vaccination campaign called ponte al dia and apparently that one is off to a good start because you know that... i got my fourth dose me too yesterday actually oh you did oh we all four oh, yeah. all four of us who's the fourth person in the room what <laughs> the it's... elephant down there oh yeah all three of us have our fourth dose yeah. did you did you have any reactions or anything not really i'm actually i'm kind of lucky like that because i never really have side effects with my vaccination i, I got a slight headache today but i don't know if that was related to that and my arm is a bit sore but the you know? Yeah, no, my arm <laughs> got sore. I know Pinguino had a bad reaction. Yeah. My fiance, my fiance, <laughs> he in the middle of the night, I woke up and he was shaking, and so I couldn't tell because the weather's changing if he was cold or if he was having the chills. And so I woke him up and I was like, <laughs> just tucked him in again, just like there, yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I woke him up and I was like, you're shaking. Are you cold or are you having the chills? And he was like, 
and he's impossible to like communicate with when he's sleeping. He was like, Tell. and so I was like, get up, put on some socks, and I'll get some blankets for you. And it was just like dragging him out of bed, get him to put on some socks, and but so he got the chills. Yeah, I know that Pinguino had a fever, but no, I'm like you. I've I've had so I now I have two Sinovacs, one Pfizer and one Moderna. Yeah, same. And I got a J and J too. So yeah, you got a J. I'm a collector of sorts. Yeah, <laughs> you got all your your Pokemon master. <laughs> gotta catch um, them all. And so no, but I and for none of the vaccines that I've had, I've had any any negative yep. immune responses yep. at all. So if you haven't gotten your fourth dose yet, you should do that. Um, yep. As of this recording, people who got their first booster shot until November 14th, 2021 can go and get the second booster shot now. And this vaccination campaign, Ponte Aldea, uh, well, the idea was like to motivate people to get their shots. And apparently it's after a good start because this week vaccinations have been up 78%, although the week that they used for comparison was the Easter week. So, you know. There have been a lot fewer vaccinations because people weren't here, but yeah. still, you know, you got more than the week before, which is good. Yeah. Um, excellent. Clap, clap. Uh, clap, clap. And one last thing about the whole COVID thing. As for the border protection plan that we talked about last week, actually, the government decided that as long as we're still on level one, which is the level of least concern. Remember, this thing has three levels. Uh, it is no longer required for... It's no longer required for non-residents to validate their vaccination vaccination status with the Chilean health ministry in oh. order to be able to enter the country. However, that also means that they won't be issued a mobility pass, which they need to get into restaurants, bars, museums, and stuff like that. Or weddings, as I found out. Oh, That's really? a preoccupation for oh, me. I did not know that. Because um, a lot of the venues require mobility passes to enter the, the oh. venues. And so I was actually talking with one of the people at the venues I saw, and, and I was like, mobility passes from foreigners. And they were like, oh, we haven't done that yet. We're not sure. And I'm like, well, if they have a mobility pass with the government, it should be fine, right? Please. Yeah, <laughs> Please. And thank you. Yeah. They need to get. In, on, surely yeah. it would be. If it's like a government issued mobility pass from Chile, I mean, it shouldn't. Uh, surely I'm not the first person to get married. Oh, you mean, hold on. You mean like a, like from Ch like not a government issue from the U.S., but. Like right. From but it's a, been verified in Chile. Right. I mean, there's a process to that, but sure. like it has been very slow i don't know if they've improved this whole thing yeah if it's going faster now hey but... we got like over a year for people to like get yeah, their okay. shit together yeah so they can you know start getting their shit together now yeah no oh and also a correction actually you told me last time <laughs> that you would have to pay the pcr out of your pocket if you don't get randomly tested here that's not true actually i found because i just landed a few days ago and i was uh you know, the, one of the lucky ones who didn't get PCR tested. And actually, I asked the lady there and was like, so, so do I have to, you know, pay this out of my own pocket now? She was like, no, you're good. Just oh, go. so you don't have to take it at all? No, not so at I all. So shoved up my nose for, any, for nothing? Yeah, for, for nothing, basically. You don't have to, you don't even have to uh, quarantine, nothing. Well, fuck. Yeah. Well, fuck. I thought yeah. I was really lucky when I came back from Disney World. And I was like, yes, I'm getting a COVID test. <laughs> yeah, woohoo. Yay. So yeah, that. And also, I don't know if we talked about this last week, you also do not need a PCR test to get on the plane to Chile anymore. That's also no longer a requirement. When did that happen? That happened, I think, with the, when they implemented the border protection plan. So, okay, so they said it's, very, it's recommended, but that's kind of like, 
you know, the government appealing to people to be reasonable. But I actually thought... Not, ab- not when the freaking PCRs in the U.S. cost $200. That is not reasonable. Yeah, that too. I mean, that really depends who you turn to because there are some PCR testing stations that do it for free under the CARES Act. But it's not... But, how, did you do that last time you were in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, not like the, this, the time before that. It's, not that's anymore? That's not um, in effect anymore. Oh, okay. That's the thing. The, first, when, the last time you went to the U.S., that was in effect. But then the time after that, that money like expired so when i had gone to the u.s after you that was not an effect anymore okay so so, as as you were saying (laughs) as i was saying so yeah i was considering actually doing a pcr before we before we traveled back because you know like you know it's a recent change like i mean i got stuck in peru i'm traumatized right you know the stuff at the airport sometimes they're they're the stuff at the airport they're not like on the up and up sometimes so i just kind of wanted to avoid trouble yeah but then I thought about it and I talked to a friend about it and he was like, don't, don't, because if that thing turns out positive, if you, especially if you take a rapid antigen test, like you're by law required to stay in the States and then the shit hits the fan because like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? When they come for you. Yeah, when they come for you and everything. So and I'm just like, okay, got a point. Then there's still the risk. Okay, what if I do have it? But like with the numbers being the way they are right now, it's kind of like, I think kind of like the risk is sort of Yeah, I mean, you got to make, you got to make that, uh, that call. Yeah. Um, you gotta weigh those risks. Um, yeah, I pr- knowing my fiance, we probably would have gotten the test either way, knowing him. Um, but just for precaution's sake. But uh, when I go to the U.S. next, if I don't need to take it, I'm not gonna take it. However, like I said, I am sort of traumatized by like that whole situation where I got stuck in Peru because the the airline in Peru did not understand. All of the rules, like you said, like the rules are changing so fast yeah. that the it take the airline sort of delayed. It's not like it's impossible to update their staff members every single day and have every single person updated on what to know. And so, you know, the, sometimes it's better safe than sorry, especially if you're traveling and you have another plane to catch or you're trying to, you know, get here, or get there, or like you're on tight schedule. Yeah. Well, you got to weigh the risks there. So, yeah. 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 Better safe than sorry. Yeah. yeah. I actually had. Um, a friend whose mother went to Mexico for um, for vacation, and she got stuck in Mexico because she did her PCR. But this was back when they required it. She her PCR was positive, so she was stuck in Mexico for a whole extra week, just but like in the hotel, not able to leave, which is not fun. I'm sure. I mean, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I would think fun times. You're just ready to get home. Anyway, you have any more on COVID? I, nope. That's all on COVID for now. Um. So, uh, if you are in Chile. You know it's raining. It's been raining. <laughs> if you're not in Chile, it's been raining. And if you're not in Chile, you there's got, a lot of rain. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand that when it's raining in, don't even say Chile in Santiago in, in the Santiago. metropolitan region. You gotta understand when it's raining here, Everything it's a big collapses. fucking deal. It's a big fucking deal. I have to. Okay, let me just fill you in on, like, when it rains in Santiago, the entire city collapses. People don't go to school. They don't go to work. And, like, it's just expected. Like, bosses don't expect you to come in. Like, schools don't expect you to attend. And this is for some legitimate reasons and some not legitimate. Like, for the rain that was yesterday, it's understandable. But some, if it's just sprinkling, Chile's just like, won't. Santiaguinos just won't yeah. go to school. It's like, oh, it's sprinkling. <laughs> no. I'm going to melt. Yeah, I'm going to nope, I can't. It's But when it's raining the way that it rained yesterday, literally the whole system collapses because our drainage system is not very good right. in um, in Santiago. So the streets flood and there's some sort of – there's some hilarious things that happen, which is like uh, you can pay a person to put you in a little cart to swim 
with you in the cart to cross the street. What? Where? I've, in, what? All of my years here, I've never, never seen, seen that. I've done it. Where? On the Apple Kindle. Seriously? Like, like they get a little buggy or a cart from the grocery store and you can pay <laughs> Big them. Big is also non plus tier. <laughs> yeah, you can pay them. No, trust me. Me, like I've had conversations with other Chileans about it. It's like wow. a joke. I, I'm tell, I'll look it up on YouTube. But like people Ooh, make. They're entrepreneurial. Got to give them that. Uh, yeah, I'm saying. I'm saying. And like you, they'll, you, you pay them and they'll like hold an umbrella over you and like boat you across the, <laughs> the sea. The little that paddle is the, like a. The sea that is the uh, the street at the time. I'm not joking. This is like a real thing. Oh, they, they, do they like sing like the Italian, like Venetian gondoliers? You know? <laughs> I don't know, but I have done oh, it. Oh, so <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they, they sing the. <laughs> nice. But um, no, I mean the whole the whole city collapses. The metros flood. It's like it's a whole thing, and um, so we did need the rainfall because we are in an incredible drought. However, because when you are in a drought and it does rain, things get kind of complicated. Anyway, it's kind of a fucked up situation. It's like you need the rain, but nah, uh, you know, uh, uh-huh, <laughs> it's fucking up things. But yeah, there's still. been mudslides. Anyway, so. There, um, so we had 27.4 millimeters, um, which was registered in Quintana Roo, 17.1 millimeters in the Pudahuel Airport, 34.8 millimeters at the Tobalaba area, and this added up to a rainfall um, record for a day in this month. Catch I? Like, this, this month, there was a rainfall record. Um, so this was completely covering our zone. However, on the weekend, there was a lot of rainfall in the South. Like the South was really hit hard. Um, so, uh, as I said, there's also in the South and this, um, has been in higher volumes, which were concentrated between Nuble and the Valparaiso region. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, I'm, I'm sorry, I might be wrong, but I just, I remember I saw this headline where that said that like the Nubla region replenished the water reserves by like 41% in just one day. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it crazy. it's been crazy. Apparently the rainfall exceeded 50 millimeters in some of those, wow. those sectors. Yeah. So, um, Talca accumulated more than 15 millimeters in four hours during the afternoon of yesterday, which yesterday would be the 26th, which is where we saw all of the the rainfall and um so it's was, it was pretty crazy so uh the city's collapsed there's been mudslides so now we have a lot of other things to deal with our reservoirs though in a good way are full which is very important to chile because like we said we do have a drought we also all almost all of us depend not almost all of us we depend on hydroelectric power plants for our energy right so that's also a contributing factor However, um, as I was talking to someone who works in the energy district, they said that because the drought has been so dry, the earth is so dry, that those reservoirs are going to shrink like rapidly mm. because the earth is going to absorb that water. Yeah. And so they're not going to get as much energy production from those reservoirs as maybe we would have hoped with the amount of water that was there at the end of the day yesterday. But um, so there's a lot of rain. There's and we're hoping to get more rain as the winter approaches because we desperately need it. Yeah, and you get like, you know, traffic lights that stop working because of the rain. It's like I'm... we're back in the estallido. Uh, so. Maybe. Who knows? I certainly don't. 
yeah, me neither. Your turn. All right. So yeah, talking about water, as you already mentioned that uh, even even if you couldn't tell by yesterday's rainfall, we are still if currently faced with an ongoing drought. So what the regional government did, the regional government of the metropolitan yeah. area is together with the National Emergency Office, the ONEMI, and the, the Superintendency of Sanitary Services, and Aguas Andinas, which is a local water supply company, they developed a water rationing protocol. Now, that one is similar to the Paso a Paso plan, which we know from the coronavirus. Is this now, like, it's a thing now, or, would they, or are they still talking about it? It is, I think it still has to pass Congress. They presented this whole thing. It still needs to get an approval, but it has actually... Uh, hold on, where was I? Ba -ba -ba -bum. Water. So right. So what I was saying is that okay, regional governor Claudio Orrego he made it clear that this plan has nothing to do with the eventual emergency emergency shutoffs of the water supply due to high water turbidity or whatever you know something these things happen sometimes. Yeah. He said in case that the plan will be implemented or if there will be a change of stage within the plan, uh, two months prior the public will be informed about what is going to happen and which part of the metropolitan region will be affected. So if the last stage, the red alert stage, quote unquote, is reached, like alternating water cuts by district can be implemented, which will, however, last no longer than 24 hours and are every 12, 6 or 4 days, depending on the district. Sure. So this, of course, excludes critical infrastructure such as hospitals or, you know, retirement homes and all that, all that jazz. Yeah, good. I was curious about that. And uh, this plan does not include, curiously, the, the districts of Maipo and Cerrillos because those are being supplied by a different company. It's like they're not being supplied by Aguas Andinas or Aguas Cordillera and all these subsidiaries. They have a different water company that they're hooked to. I, I don't know which one. I think they I produce their own there. water. So they have their own, like, independent... <laughs> they got their own, like, hydrogen oxygen Yeah, probably. I mean, like, they, 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 have, they have all the rivers, so it would make sense that they would like, sort of have their buckets. own. Maipo was its own town until very recently. True. True. So much for the water rationing protocol. So you got something else? Yeah. So, okay. So um, if you've been following this podcast for any amount of time, you know that truckers like to throw fits. And there's another trucker strike. Okay. So, um, and this one is, uh, it's, it's has its own new sort of flavor of controversialness because we now have a new government. And so there's a lot of like uh, sling and mud towards the government the new Boric government because of this. So uh, Gabriel Boric is, so there's been a blockade, another blockade that the truckers are doing so that supplies can't reach the capital city. And Boric announced that he's going to file, or I guess the, oh, thank you, Lenny. He just handed me a tissue because I'm having, I'm having um, allergies. Uh, sorry. It's if I sound very deep, it's because I have allergies. So anyway, so they're fine. <laughs> you sound nasal. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. So if they're filing lawsuits, so the government is filing lawsuits against those, quote, responsible for these blockades that are continuing to occur. This measure has been announced as truckers and carriers continue their mobilizations, despite the ultimatum of the Minister of Interior, Iskia Siches, and President Boric, who have insisted that the cuts must end before 4 p.m. on Tuesday, which was yesterday. The 26th. Man, talking about putting your foot down. <laughs> yeah. He said in a statement, the, I mean, like, this really makes me think of, like, what happened in Canada. So in a statement, the minister, minister, 
Director of Interior, said that due to the interruptions of free traffic on the highways at the hands of some groups of truckers in different parts of the country and after intense negotiations to lift the stoppages on the roads, the Minister of Interior and Security has decided to sue those who are responsible for these crimes committed against public order. Although after the negotiations, most of the mobilized truckers have withdrawn. In the last hours, there have been cuts in the province of Loa, Antofagasta region, and in the province of Curico, Maule region. Um, in a quote, it says, We are willing to dialogue and seek solutions. Others preferred intransigence. This paralysis prevents free movement, supply, and access to basic services for millions of people. And our first responsibility as a government is with the well-being of its citizen citizens of our country. That was what uh, Siches said. However, the truck the truck driver was, uh, there was a truck driver, the reason like this one continued again, there was a truck driver that was shot as um, he was covering a route between Garawe and Dirua in southern Chile while in the vehicle was set on fire by some hooded men. So the Carabineros reported that this was a new attack against truck drivers who have demanded greater protections. They have demanded a lot of things, including things that are very unrelated to trucking, such as they don't want sexual education schools, they want to move out of the UN. It's very weird. They're, and they're, it's, it's important to say that these are not, hashtag not all truckers, because a lot of truck drivers have been openly wanting to have dialogue with Boric, and Boric has openly wanted to have dialogue with them. And as it said in the article, most of the truckers have withdrawn, but there's like a few sets of truckers that are have like these very high demands right so yeah. i think that's really important to mention because i don't want to say like that the fact that a trucker wasn't that was shot is not a big deal that is a big deal and it needs to be addressed and i feel like uh the president and the government is trying to address it but there are certain demands like that they're just not they're not going to pull out of the un because some truckers are like <laughs> yeah. unrelated oh, unrelated all right. you know what i mean it just doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense so so um do 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 bump boom bump what was i saying uh okay so on tuesday which was the 26th uh, Gabriel Boric warned the transport groups that blocking the routes in protest against the price of uh, fuels and if the, if the blockades did not cease, that the law will prevail. And he said it is not acceptable and it is our duty as a government and my duty as president of the republic to guarantee free transit through our country. And also, like, considering the price, the, the inflation that has been occurring in Chile and the fact that these... Tr- we've mentioned it so many times. Truckers in this country have had have one of the biggest like power holds grips on chile of any institution because of the shape of chile because we really only have one one road yeah we can't really no, go but, around no, but, things but yeah how would you go around with uh, without truckers that's what i mean like i think the issue is not the shape the issue is that we don't have a functioning railway railway well that's, 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 that's yeah and which is what Boric has been trying to do yeah yeah no, no, as no, well but it's that. not like you can say like okay as a private citizen I can because it's also talking about how roadways are blocked. Like oh, okay, private gotcha. citizens can't. It's not only can't about supply. It's exactly. Also, okay, gotcha. Right, but so like a private citizen can't go. Oh well, I'll just go around the yeah. long way. It's like yeah, no, I can't. With my four <laughs> because, by four. Because we're this big, we're this thin, we're very thin. You think I'm skinny? Okay, so um. So skinny. So skinny. So um, since we assumed the government, Boric said, we have carried out permanent dialogues with the main groups of truckers in Chile. However, uh, we regret that those who have decided to cut off the routes to Chileans have not wanted to join these conversations. So rock hard play, rock meet hard place. Like mm. there's only so much you can do if you're like, hey, let's talk. And they're like, 
You know what I mean? I think, I don't know. Like, it's been very divisive. This particular, right. uh, what am I trying to say? Be, Boric has been in government for a month, and I've seen people be, like, much more reactive to this particular trucker strike and being like, Gabriel Boric is, like, ignoring the death of these people that have died and da 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 And I'm like, I don't, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, yeah. what is he going to do? Be like, okay, let's just pull out of the UN. Like, like no like <laughs> because Juan told me to you know, so. yeah like the truckers have said this and I'm just gonna pull out of the UN and it's like I think I don't know maybe you tell me Lenny is there anything else you think that he could do well uh, no I don't know no but actually in a way I, I got thoughts here because I got get the impression that it's the last years you've seen like a surge in empowerment of certain groups yeah for better or for worse you know i'm not say, i'm not saying it's good it's a bad thing i mean it really depends on what group you're talking about sure. or what your political affiliation is but sure. there have been a lot of groups interest groups such as truckers such as students such as mapuches such as whatever they've been like they have been kind of like okay you know what fuck this i'm going to take this into my own hand and they organize and they basically well, quote unquote, fuck shit up, so to speak, you yeah. know, like, which is in a way, on the one hand, great that there is, you know, people standing up for their interests and stuff like that. But on the other hand, it's also going to make it really hard for the government to just maintain their power monopoly in a way. You know what I mean? Because in a way, the more of these interest groups that you have that just get the idea is like, you know what, if they do it. We can do the same thing. We're just going to organize and stand up together and just, you know, present our demands. Uh-huh. And I think the more groups there are, the harder the government will, you know, have a time to just say, hey, hey, guys, like, we're the ones who's supposed to be in charge right now. Right. So that's that's kind of a worrisome situation, like, development there. I feel like listening to you, and I, I agree with you, I think that, that you know, there, I think there, uh, the difference, at least in my mind, um, and correct me if you disagree, is like, for example, with the Pineda government, with the student movement, Pineda decisively said, we will not have dialogues with these people mm-hmm. because of their XYZ reasons, whether it was the student movement or the Mapuche or whatever. It was, we will not have dialogues. And Boric, even though he has his specific affiliations, he has openly said, we will have dialogue to every group that's approached him, mm-hmm. with whether it was the Carabineros, who he is not a fan of, obviously, whether it's the truckers. He has openly said, like, let's talk. And I think that's the, that's, I think that's, I don't know if it's the solution, but at least it's a better way of handling it than saying, like, no, fuck off. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel like saying no, fuck off is only going to piss people off more. Absolutely. The thing is that, I can, you know, that's very subjective, but I've seen more and more groups being like, no, we're not going to talk. The truckers are one group. They were like, you know, you better fulfill our demands or, you know, things are going to go sideways. But I don't know how many of the truckers, you know what I mean? Like, we're not getting a a full picture. It's actually the same. And I'm going to talk about this a little later with the Mapuches, too. You know, you got like a very loud minority who said, like, you know, screw that. Like dialogue, not interested because they feel that they can now. You know what I mean? I think that's an important thing, especially as we, like, start to tiptoe through the Mapuche-like situation. I'm just barging in. Yeah, let's – because we need to really make that distinction because – And I'm not – sorry, I didn't mean just the Mapuche per se. I'm just – I'm talking about these interest groups in general, like, because they feel more empowered. Yes, and I think that – 
I don't think I think that there are, there are ways that we can do this. I'm interested to see how this develops. I think a lot of people are coming out really strong against Bordich, and I'm like, guys, he's been in he's been in like office like a month. Let, let's let's give him some time, poor poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> like every single day, every single day, like he is just yeah. like balls to the walls, yeah. like doing shit. And I mean, he's in this very unfortunate position that the expectations are high, but he also set very high standards for himself. So basically, yeah. everything like every misstep that he makes. Because like with, with previous presidents of the quote-unquote establishment, people were just like, can't expect that, you know. But sure. with Boris, it's just like, nah, aha, didn't you say you were going to do things different? And, yeah. you know. When, when, and you're going to talk about that, actually, yeah. about that right now. Yeah, no, actually, right now I wanted to talk about the minimum wage, yeah, wage adjustment. Yeah, the, 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 that's what I mean, the changes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, perfect. I was trying to give you a cool introduction. Although we were talking about the Mapuche thing, but okay. No. So yeah, so the government and the CUT, the CUT, which is like a workers' union federation here in Chile, they agreed on increasing the minimum wage from 350,000 to first 380,000 as of May 1st, and then eventually to 400,000 pesos as of August 1st. Also, if the inflation in December exceeds 7%, which kind of looks like it <laughs> from where we're standing now, the minimum wage will be set at 410,000 pesos as of January 1st, 2023. Now, this is the highest readjustment in 25 years. And if you ask me, it's about time. <laughs> you know, oh, my God. Like, it has, like the minimum imagine. wage has not been able to keep up with inflation for no. the last decades, actually. So Finance Minister Mario Marcel also said that, among other things, they also agreed on certain measures to compensate for the galloping inflation right now. One of which will be not a trot, a gallop. It's it's a gallop right now, right? And one of these things would be the creation of a quote unquote price watchdog under the umbrella of the Cernac, which is the consumer service that will inform the finance ministry of any irregularities in the market basket, which is used to calculate inflation. You mm-hmm. know, I think we could talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. take a basket of goods and then you calculate, do math magic, and then you got inflation. Math, math magic. The other thing would be the implementation of a mechanism that compensates for price fluctuations in basic food basket, which is like a subcategory of the market basket only containing food items. And this compensation will be paid out on a monthly basis as a part of the family subsidy, which means like only the most the families that are most in need will receive this, which is fair. Sure. You know, now members of the parliament of the opposition as well as of the government coalition are questioning whether this increase of 400,000 will be enough, especially considering the high inflation rate of the last month. And I mean, probably not. But then again, it's a first step. And as you said of Mike before, that like the goal of the government is to reach 500,000, 500, which interestingly, interestingly enough, this didn't come up in this conversation at all, at least not in the article. So they didn't make any allusions to that. So Me neither. I don't it was know. interesting because yeah. I'm not wrong, right? He said 500,000. Yeah, 500, yeah so. I have also not, there has to be a reason for it. Like maybe there's something in the constitution that's like, you know, when your rise minimum wage can't be more than... Yeah, percent or something but that kind of like stood out yeah you know? but for me i remember him very much saying that and so and nobody has criticized the fact that it's not five hundred thousand. so i'm assuming really who's criticized pinguino the right oh. oh has he Cass has been like it's not thousand, bitch it's not, it's not okay. socialist enough okay Cass, you want to be five hundred thousand? donate your money okay anyway but again, I don't know why that is. I wouldn't. I again, we, he's got four years to do it. Let's hope he does. Yeah, right. 
Um, maybe he feels like if he had tried to go for 500000 off the bat, it wouldn't have gotten approved. Exactly. I mean, approved? That... I have no idea. I haven't talked to him. Yeah, on that note, talking about like the minimum wage, which hopefully is going to be at 500000 now, I think point. it's it's more pressing than ever because like there was also news items that came out yesterday due to the high inflation. The poverty line has actually been adjusted oh, Jesus. and it, by like more than 10%. And it's now situated just below 200000 per month. So that means like if you earn less than 200000 per month, you're officially poor, which, you know, in turn means that a lot now we officially have a lot more poor people than we used to have before. We already had thanks to the down. inflation. So yeah, that makes it even more urgent this whole adjustment of the minimum wage. So but you know, looks like he's got a plan, so let's see where this leads to. Let's let's see what happens. I mean, the inflation's really bad. You know, it's an international thing right now. There are certain things like there also I think I read news um a news blurb about how now because of course because of the oil like the cooking oil of course the there's inflation there because of the the war in ukraine mm. um that there's now collusion between chilean cooking oil companies to raise prices of oil from that people are producing in chile and it's just like come on you motherfuckers like are are the chilean people not suffering enough that you like are colluding to raise prices like it just it blows my fucking mind i can't i can't yeah that's like as if prices weren't high enough prices weren't high enough like let people cook oh you know what i did the other day i ordered sesame oil but like not toasted sesame oil but like sesame oil like to cook with and it was a really good idea yeah, and I just I don't I don't get why people freak out about like oh my god it's like you know sunflower it's like they're literally literally like a hundred thousand different oils that you can use to cook like I use olive oil all the time what the fuck you know yeah so. uh, like first of all olive oil is healthier for you mm. um but it's tastier too huh Chilean. yeah okay yeah, well we, we produce oil. a lot of yes. olives and grapes and all sorts of things it's so this is really cool. The, um, there was a Chilean student, a high school student, who designed a system that detects when um, people put drugs in drinks, mm-hmm. like um, like date rape drugs. Roofies. Roofies and so. things like that. So um, two Chilean students designed, it's called Protect Your Drink System, that detects the presence of drugs uh, that specifically the type that like make you lose consciousness. And these are drugs that are really hard to test for instantaneously, right? Because yeah. you know when somebody's been maybe drugged after the fact, but like... <laughs> it's too late, yeah. <laughs> it's too late by that time. So one of its creators, Camila Sanchez Saavedra, used the system uh, to... And she applied for the PCU program to the admissions of science, scientists of entrepreneurs, Um of the National Research and Development Agency, and it would cause her actually to be selected for this and uh, for engineering studies at the Catholic University. And she said it d- is the design is simple and consists of a small rod with drug detection paper at the end, um, which stirred into liquid allows the um, allows sleeping pills to be identified by the change of the color. Um, and sin- and she, uh, Sanchez Saavedra stressed that the idea of the project is to prevent kidnapped- kidnappings or sexual assaults through consumptions of drugs and drinks. For example, when it's in parties, pubs, or discos. Protect Your Drink participated in the national competition of the Go Innova after ranking first in a science and technology fair that brings students together different initiatives. Um, so she entered into that and her and her partner and they won and now they're um, one of the most prestigious universities in the country. Um, I actually wanted to comment on this because as I was reading this article, um, I noticed that a lot of the, I didn't read the whole article because that would just like be like reading like lots of boring stuff to you. 
but they kept talking about how women and women being drugged and women and all of these things, which, of course, yeah, that is the majority of mm-hmm. people being drugged. But I do, do definitely want to emphasize that men, especially gay men, uh, get drugged all the time. And I think that it is very important that we realize that the system is not just for women, that it's going to protect a lot of people um, from a lot of really bad situations. And I don't know. I just think, again, sometimes Chile gets very, like, focused on, like, one issue. And then they're like, okay, women need protection against rape. Great. Yes, 100%. You're totally right. And it affects the vast majority of women much more than it affects men. But – Men also need protection yeah. from rape fair, and those fair. kinds of things. And for date rape drugs specifically, this is something that has happened and has existed, especially for a lot of gay were men. Like, oh no, it doesn't work with men. It only I'm works sorry. on women. <laughs> it only works on women. It's genetically um, coded. Yeah, and so I mean, because that is actually something that happened a lot, like in the '90s, that men would get drugged and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, that's just wanted to mention that because a lot of articles, and of course, they're teenagers. And their focus was for women, which I get. But this could also be very useful for all sorts of people. And that's what I wanted to say on that. Here you go. All right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's let's continue with part two of our coverage, exclusive coverage Mm -hmm. of the conflict in the southern macro zone. Exactly. Chile Today podcast news. Breaking. Breaking, whatever. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's, let, let me start off with a little recap of the couple of basic facts that we'll be talking about here. So as you might remember, we're talking about a conflict in most of the Araucania region and some of the Biobio region that has been smoldering since, like, forever. <laughs> you know, it got worse in the late 1990s, was subdued to a certain extent after 2003 due to very repressive, like, police tactics. And then has gotten worse again since the nineteen sorry since the twenty tenths, and then has erupted really in two thousand eighteen with the last two years being especially bad. So Volcanic. exemplify how bad it has gotten in the last two years. Let me just throw a few stats at you because I Numbers. know that you love stats. Warismos, which is a word I just learned, which I think is just really funny. What, what is, is it? Warismo, which basically means number. Warismo. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's I weird. Anyway, so. In 2021, there was a total of 462 arrests in the scope of this conflict, which constitutes 53% of all the arrests that were made in the conflict area the four previous years. Oh, shit. Yep. In 2021, there were 1,475 instances of, quote-unquote, rural violence, 46% more than in 2020. Rural violence. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about this, quote-unquote, rural it violence. Makes, it makes me think of, like, you're kicking a bush or something. Like, no. <laughs> uh, rural violence! No! It's a bit more than that. Actually, it's it's a kind of a weird label, which I'm going to talk about a little more later on, but uh, it's it's a thing that They're they use They're at it there. again, or, like, cow tipping? No, no, rural <laughs> violence are basically all these instances, these incidents that they connect... To the whole, no, 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 that they connect to this whole Mapuche thing, the Mapuche uprising in the south. Basically, everything that happens in the context of the Mapuche uprising, so to speak. It's called rural violence. Yeah, it's like the rural violence, but it has its own problems, which I'm going to get to. And the third point is that this conflict has actually catapulted Chile on the global terrorism index from rank 47 in 2020 to rank 18 in 2022, leaving it only second to Colombia and Latin America. Yep. Jesus. Yeah, that is quite a bit. I thought we were considered the safest country. No. The safest? What's happening the, with me? The safest. The, safe, the safest country in Latin America. Well, not anymore, no. 
Not anymore. What was that? Not anymore. Don't. I don't know. It's just like my bad. <laughs> I'm like talking from expression. Arkansas and all of a sudden you came from Canada. Like, <laughs> Was that Canadian? I think so. I oh, man. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> so in general, for the most time, the attacks have been largely at night. It was mostly arson and were limited to equipment of like forestry, forestry companies such as trucks, excavators, front loaders, sure. whatever, but have become increasingly more violent and assertive, including the burning of churches, private property, home invasions, assaulting law enforcement, even opening gunfire on a reporter crew and so on Jesus. at night as well as in broad daylight. Yeah, usually it was at night. Now it's also like in daylight. You right. Know? And so it's sort of like went from like, OK, like not that I, w- I would necessarily agree with it but it's like okay the reason that you're attacking forestry companies is because right okay they're maybe they're destroying your land and yeah. now it's like whoa it's kind of like a free-for-all now <laughs> yeah it's like now we what are what is happening yeah, we're right. just right now the belligerents so to speak on are on the one side the mapuche activists and allegedly also drug trafficking rings and on the other side you have the chilean government the government Got big businesses operating in the region, especially lumber corporations, big farms. Big pharma. Big pharma, no, big big <laughs> agri, big agriculture, actually. Big farms. Big farms. Uh, uh, local militias made up of uh, local farmers, small business owners, and local residents. And as of late, also truck drivers. You know, those are sure. the other side of the conflict. Now, Truckies. what do the Mapuche want? The Mapuche are, of course, not a monolith. So there are different groups and within the community with ideas, with different ideas and demands. Some more radical than others, while some are merely asking to have their ancestral land returned to them, but are otherwise fine with living under the Chilean rule and coexisting with quote-unquote white Chileans. Voices on the other extreme want to actually eradicate the Chilean state. <laughs> as well as expel the Catholic Church from the lands as they consider it a symbol of colonialism. I mean, like, have their own independence? Like, like, as in, like, the way that, for example, certain other indigenous communities live in other countries? Like, they they can create, like, their own zone where they have their own laws? Yeah, that too, but that falls in the middle. I was just, like, saying, okay, here's one extreme, there's the other extreme. Right, but... What I'm what I'm trying to say that doesn't while it might be an extreme compared to like the living with the others, it's not an extremist idea. I mean, this exists in the U.S., right? Like the indigenous communities have their own laws that they're allowed to. Yeah, no, no. no. But what I'm saying is that like the this, these extreme opinions there they want to actually eradicate the Chilean state like, like do away no. with all of Chile oh 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 <laughs> down with Chile oh, boom oh oh <laughs> you know? okay I thought it was just like we don't r- want to ourselves recognize the laws of the Chilean state as in create our own sort of autonomous yeah I mean there's th- those there are those voices too but you know I mean those are probably like that the, is lo- I mean like a few okay, and again, far in between that right have so these they're, extreme they're, they're the I not the anarchists because that's not the correct term for anarchy but like the the they're those guys, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to say anarchists because that's actually not what yeah, anarchists not what are. So, like, I just, they're the... Anti-colonialists, if you Anti- will, but then that's also... Anti-government. There you go. Thank you, Pinguino. Anti-government. So, but, you know, of course, the the Chilean state is not about to compromise its territorial integrity, while at the same time also needs to look out for its economic interests as to the corporations operating in the area, you know, because what related products, I looked that up, they are like what related products and its derivatives like pulp and such, they make up around 7% of Chile's overall exports, like wood pulp. And oh, okay, kind of okay, things. okay. Yeah, I'm just making fiction. sure that they're, uh, yeah, no, I, mm. I know that. I was just making sure I understood what you said. Yeah, like, yeah, pop. So, pop, pop. So, yeah, I get that, you know. 
so Chile is going to be like, yeah, we get that, but you know, yeah, but a I, lot I, of money I imagine is in there that that is and... a very, very small percentage of 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 Mapuche who yeah. want a vi- like I would say probably less than yeah. 1%. I mean, there's like there's a whole spectrum in between, and you know, basically the two groups have to see where they can meet on the spectrum. So we're going to get to that. Now the talk a little bit about the radicalization of the movement because up to now the CAM, which is the Coordinadora Arauco Mayeco, um, CAM, under the leadership of Mr. Hector uh, Yaitul, has been the voice of the Mapuche resistance and for the last two decades they have been calling the shots through the armed branch, the ORT, the Organo de Resistencia Territorial, or like, I don't know, the I, I, would, I translate this as territorial resistance organ, which sounds weird. Organization. So I guess that might be a better... Yeah, instead yeah. of organ. Yeah, organization, yeah, German. It, it just sounds like a very belligerent no. dick. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The, your member. Yeah, exactly. Are you a member of the organ? <laughs> your member, your organ. So, yeah, so they were the ones that were responsible for most attacks on the forestry companies and the property. However, in the last years, the movement has become a lot more fragmented with splinter groups emerging, which are more radical, younger, less disciplined and organized, yet better equipped, such as the WAM, the WAM, also, which stands for Waichan Auka Mapu, which itself is merely actually an umbrella organization made out of even of several even smaller groups that answer to their own leaders so they're they like this all just over sounds the like place the left <laughs> yeah not associating necessarily bonds <laughs> with the left but i'm just saying the way that the left in chile is organized it's just like who wait who what party are you oh you're in this coalition yeah, oh, oh but oh, what party part of the block which is part of which this is bigger the, thing right so, but oh, you God, all yeah. hate each other okay yeah but you know common goals and whatever <laughs> So, yeah, actually, one of the authors of the articles that I read was pointed something out, interest, something interesting. They said something similar actually happened in Mexico when the state coercion undermined the stability of one of the major cartels and gave rise to less established groups that sought to carve out their niche through violence. So basically, no, what they were saying is that, and I'm going to get to that too, since the government was like cracking down on basically this, um, the CEM, like, this gave rise to a lot of splinter groups, small splinter groups, splinter groups who were Oops. just like gloops <laughs> that were like, uh, guys, like we need to do something. And the CAM, the, the Coronel Arauco Mayeco was really not, they didn't have the power anymore that they used to have. Uh-huh. So like these small splinter group emerged. So that was, I think it was an interesting interesting comparison there so i would point. i would uh, err on the side of caution for the types of articles that feel comfortable comparing the mapuche organizations to a drug cartel because i feel like that uh, a lot of people don't will read that read into that more than yeah, maybe that was an english language article so i think it was rather academic i would have to look it up but yeah. okay okay but you know so far the 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 cam has condemned violence against people but has recently grown a bit more bold so it is assumed that this is a power move in order to unify the fragmented movement under their wing by pandering to the more radical and separatist tendencies in there now okay talking about being careful about whatever the publications that I read, so because I read something in the online publication Ex Ante, which I think is right wing. You should, I don't know if you know or heard about that. What's it called? Ex Ante. Oh, I've no. heard about this before, and I think they have a bit more right wing tendency. Well, I looked into the editorial, and they're mostly like Ex Mercurius so there, you know. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so, but you know, they made an interesting point they, because so, yes, they, were right cite, they were citing the funeral of the CAM, the CAM member. Should I say CAM or CAM? I think. 
CAM. Okay. Because Tom sounds like Tom sounds like Tom. True that. Yes, yeah, I work in retail. For me, come as key account manager, but what do I know? <laughs> so the online publication Ex Ante, like they cited the, the, the funeral of the CAM member Pablo Marchant, on, which took place on July 13, 2021, who was shot in the head by a carabinero. And they cited this one as a pivotal which, which moment. Which person? Sorry, Camilo? It, uh, it, no, no, it, he was called Pablo Marchant. Okay, a different person that they murdered. Different gotcha. person, different victim there. He was shot in the head by a carabinero, and they cited this funeral as a pivotal moment that kind of galvanized the whole splinter groups again. Right. Because even though the Marchant was a CAM member, at the funeral there were members of at least three smaller, more radical groups, Sure. which includes the Resistencia Mapuche Mayeco, the Resistencia Mapuche Lafquinche, and the WAM, which is the which I just mentioned. And the WAM was actually calling upon the CAM to put aside the differences. And in the aftermath of this whole thing, Yaitul, remember, who's the leader of the CAM, his stance seemed to have shifted a little bit more and become a little bit more radicalized with more okay. emphasis on armed resistance rather than on dialogue, which is a departure from the more conciliatory tones that have actually prevailed in his discourse in the month prior this, to his okay, incident. Okay, so this is what year? No, this was actually last year. This is last year. Because okay. before that, he was just kind of like, okay, you know, kumbaya, let's talk, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, he was just kind of like, you know what? Screw that, you know. And he also basically just called, like in this, in this, during the same, in the same time frame, he kind of basically called the then president of the Constitutional Convention, Elisa Longcon, who herself is Mapuche. He uh-huh. called her kind of like like a sellout. Yeah, I remember that. You know, that was kind of like okay. It's like there's some representation there, but apparently you don't like this anymore. And actually, in fact, just a few weeks ago, beginning. I mean, it's kind of, of like what Halloway, literally, literally what Halloway said about Boric recently, like last yeah. week. Being a sellout. Being a sellout. Yeah. Oh, there was a lot of Halloween about each conflict last week. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if you. I don't know if you can compare that because this is more about like Mapuche representation. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, I mean like, it's the same thing about leftist representation. I mean, like not the same thing, but like it just made me think that th- when you don't feel like there's somebody in power that's representing you, when you feel like at some point they should have been. There gets a lot of like gets very divided when somebody's not leading the way that you should think they should be leading when you think they're representing you, it gets divisive. Right. right. And like this is a in yeah, the Halloway Boric thing. Just why I'm making that comparison is Halloway and Boric were de- part of the same coalition. Halloway very much supported Boric during the presidential election, and now he's like distancing himself. Yeah, I get and I'm that. sure that that was like a similar situation. I just was mentioning yeah it. because like before I. I I'm not 100% on that, but I think before he might not have been honestly outspoken in favor of Elisa Longcorn, but apparently he hasn't really said anything against her. And then all of a sudden he was just like, you're a sellout. So, the, you know, okay. and in fact, just a few weeks ago, like beginning of, sorry, beginning of um, April, the CEM issued a communique in which it rejected the government's offer to dialogue and emphasized yeah, again that. that they will follow the way of the Wei Chan, which can be translated as fight or even war. You know, I'm talking about the the truckers that you just, you know, the the article that you just mentioned right. before in terms of um, that the government is offering a dialogue and you see here in this case, this has been actually actively rejected, which is going to make the work a lot harder for Boric moving forward, you know. So, and this radicalization of parts of the movement has also caused a schism among the Mapuche communities themselves sure. because there, ha- there have been documented acts of attacks on Mapuche by Mapuche calling them Yanakonas, which can be yeah. translated as slaves of the rich or simply like traitor just because they disagree with the growing violence. You know? Right, they don't want to support that um, 
they don't want to support the violence. And so, I mean, I think it's it's very interesting because obviously this is a very unique problem, but it's also it's also very like history repeats itself kind of problem, which I feel like this happens in a lot of a lot of history, right? We have like different groups that used to be together and now are splintering and now are becoming like enemies mm-hmm. and um it's very yeah, so I'm just I'm trying to say. It's it's not um surprising, I guess, what is happening in a way. Like obviously it's a very unique problem the fact that I'm not trying to say that the Mapuche are yeah. just like everybody else, but I think I think this is going to come up a little later, but I, they said that it was what spawned the splintering was also basically just, the, oh, I mean, I talked about this right now, that the, the repressive state tactics. You sure. Know? And so, that's the thing is like everything kind of like, up until this point yeah. has been repressive state tactics. Now we have somebody like Boric who wants to dialogue mm-hmm. for the first time, really. And they're, and like, they're, they're like, we're done. Nope. We're done. Yeah, we don't exactly. want to. And so this puts the Boric government in a very difficult situation because the truckers really want to do what Pineda was willing to do, which is basically arm the state against the the Mapuche. Mm-hmm. But Boric, as somebody who is very sympathetic towards the Mapuche cause, doesn't want to do that. Yeah. Because he understands that that means there are going to be more deaths. Like, yeah, he wants to de-escalate. He wants to de-escalate because there will, if, if they arm... If they arm more people up into that area, it's only going to get more violent. Um, it puts the the government in a. I think this has happened a lot so far. What we've seen with the Borges government, it's like putting this like, I want to do this. People are like, you know what? If you had tried two years ago, and he's like, but I wasn't here. But 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 you know, it's like. So it's interesting. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a couple of key points to understanding the conflict. I got four here. And the first one is actually quite brief because the first one would be conflicting ideas of statehood because Chile has been modeled after the European idea of a state which, uh, sure. with a homogenous populace. And this, of course, doesn't take into account the variety of indigenous tribes and cultures that live on Chilean territory. Sure. Now, the new constitution redefining Chile as a plurinational state might actually take some pressure off of this. So right. let's stay tuned. Let's see what happens there. Right. But which this is, is the kind plan of, like, of the new constitution. Yeah, which is kind of like the first layer of this whole problem here, because, you know, their idea of a state or the Mapuche's idea of a state or statehood is vastly different from the, you know, classic European sure. idea. Right. The other point is, and this is a little longer one, are territory and economic interests. Now, territory is a big one here. Now, as you mentioned in the last episodes, the, in the first part, the Spanish were not able to conquer the Mapuche. So at first, Chile basically ended where Mapuche territory began. And with Chile's independence from the Spanish crown, Chile expanded south by force, especially during the pacification of the Aracoria, as you mentioned. Right. You know? And the, these campaigns were between 1861 and 1883, and also by incentivizing settlements by immigrants in the area. And uh-huh. that actually rem- reminded me of this law of selective immigration from 1845, which I talked about when I was on right. as a guest. Yeah, and we right? talked about, yeah, exactly. we talked about think, it yeah, exactly. last week last as well, which how a lot of Germans came to a, a lot of cultures, but because right. we were talking about the German episode, we were talking about that specifically yeah. um, to Chile uh, to uh, Anglicanize that uh, area. Right. And then also by a very, you know, by dishonest bait and switch deals with the Mapuche community. So you got like forced forced expansion down south. You have 
incentivizing settlements by foreign colonists and right. then also like very shady deals that they uh, struck with the Mapuches that kind of caused the Mapuches to, you know, successively keep on losing their, their territory, the land, you know. So now in the late 60s and the early 70s, some of that land was returned to the Mapuche through expropriation as a result of the agrarian reform and the creation of the Commission for the Restitution of Usurped Territories. That is actually the name. That's a very long name. Great. First under President Frey, 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 and then under Allende. Allende! <laughs> by which yay! I mean Allende. So that was good, but, you know, then again... Then there was, was a dictatorship. And then there was a dictatorship, and then this whole thing was this whole this went to shit. yeah went was taken away again under the Pinochet regime, who in turn like pawned it off to the private sectors, mostly big forestry companies, which eucalyptus uh, and pine. Eucalyptus is the worst. So they called this whole thing the counter reform, which I think is the most cynical thing ever. <laughs> yeah, but also eucalyptus is the worst but it's also so pretty and i was thinking the other day i was like if i use eucalyptus in my wedding does that send the wrong message to my well, friends you should get Mapuche? koalas to go with it <laughs> like very da vinci code well I, I keep thinking about that i'm like oh eucalyptus because it's like blue and also green like, honestly i think a lot of people wouldn't even know what fucking plant that is okay there yeah. you go so right so um bye-bye beep boop bop after the country's return to democracy, the so-called indigenous law was passed in 1993, which eventually led to the creation of the CONADI the same year, which is the Cooperación Nacional de Desarrollo Indígena, or the National Corporation for Indigenous Development. Now, one of its main objectives was the, was the buying off la of lands from private owners and transfer them back to indigenous communities. And actually, conflict was very low during the first years of this process and almost never violent because people were seeing, okay, there's some process being made, but the framework of the CONADI was very ineffectual and lacked a mechanism to resolve controversies. Gotcha. And as a result, not much progress was made as owners are reluctant to sell and there was a lot of red tape to deal with. And, you know, personal thought, I think the government probably also didn't have much interest in this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, probably not. Either because, you know, uh, at the same time, the government was heavily promoting the expansion of the national forestry industry, right. which absolutely ran counter to the claims of the Mapuche, you know. They were like, okay, we're giving you land back, but we still need to cut down those trees. So, yeah. So this is when the Mapuche started you organizing in larger in name, groups and the conflict became eventually, became eventually violent, you know. So. Sure. These forestry companies are considered by many Mapuche communities as interlopers, of course, sure. desecrating their ancestral lands and Terrorists. its nature, which they need, and uh, and its nature which they need for their own sustenance. You know, you know, just work in the land, and also, I mean, I'm going on a limb here. I'm not an expert, but I think also for the Ma in the Mapuche culture, this whole idea of living in harmony with nature is really important. Sure. So I guess they cannot really abide by the massive deforestation caused by those, you know, forestry companies. And actually, some Mapuche communities have since then taken things into their own hand and taken over land that officially belongs to the forestry companies or uh -huh. large and medium-sized farms. They've just t taken it back. And law enforcement usually moves in, try to expel those communities, but they just come back every time, every time. And at some point, the police is just like, okay, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're giving up. This is not worth it. You know? It sounds pretty effective. Yeah. Well, but, you know, you got to have the, you know, just the stamina to just keep on doing that, you know? Yeah. Would be kind of annoying if I was Mapuche man. <laughs> would yeah. be kind of annoying if I was a policeman too. I mean, would be kind of annoying if I'm on any side of this conflict. So, yeah. So, that is one thing. Um, I don't know if you want to add something to this. Um, 
No, I mean, I was, when you were saying, like, earlier when I said, oh, it made sense that, you know, there would be attacks on the the forestry machinery and things like that because of because of what you were saying right yeah, like that's the root of these, all this whole thing. exactly these are directly related to the fact that not only are these their ancestral lands because they are their ancestral lands but it is also because if they are doing um, forestry on these lands and I think it's important to mention if you haven't listened to our episodes about the trees is that the trees that were planted by the dictatorship which is specifically pine and eucalyptus these actually contribute to our droughts because they and to our wildfires because they suck up a lot of water they grow very very fast and they kill they are tearing down indigenous plants to put in these th- these other plants and they because they grow so fast and because they are so dry and they suck up so much water it's also killing surrounding plants and it contributes to wildfires because they just go up it's just yeah. like it's like just cinder. like it's just cinder yeah. and it goes up and again there's that fire in, in all of the places it wipes out other um close areas of indigenous communities and just people in general trying to live their lives. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's not good. They, they could have so. least tried to, imp- like, they could have least have imported, like, koalas along with these eucalyptus trees to just I mean, add apparently a koalas are, are, like, really, like... Stupid. They're stupid, but yeah. apparently they're also really, like, um, what's it called? Like, Picky they're, like, almost, like, an infestation at some point because as much as they eat, like, we would have no more eucalyptus if we had koalas. Oh, like, that thing, might... Then. Yeah, we, we <laughs> might as well just, bring, like... Yeah, to bring Australian in, listeners, <laughs> please bring a koala. Get all the just, eucalyptus out. Mm-hmm. Just hide it in your coat yeah, or whatever so, so they don't... Koalas have chlamydia. Oh. oh okay. okay, okay, don't bring koalas. Yeah, don't have sex with... Well, just don't have sex with... Don't have sex with koalas. <laughs> As if we were just going to get it by osmosis. <laughs> no, I think just don't have sex with them. Okay, don't, 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 don't have, have sex, sex with, with koalas. To, to all of our Australian listeners, just here's the advice. Because don't have sex with koalas. Okay, I'm glad that we got this out of the way. Now, another, another key factor, key point here to understand this conflict is the issue of neglect, the lack of recognition of the Mapuche or other indigenous communities and racism. Which is a thing. So you got to know that the Mapuches make up 80% of Chile's indigenous population and 12% of Chile's overall population. So Which is a big percentage. It's not just a note on the margin. It's a it's big, big freaking percentage. percentage, right? Yet Chile is the only Latin American country that does not recognize their indigenous populations as people in this constitution, only as ethnicities. Which is likely to change soon with the new constitution, right. but that's still in the water. Remember to vote. Now, the Mapuche, or for that matter, any of Chile's indigenous peoples have been woefully underrepresented in the country's past governments. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, there has only been one Mapuche member of uh, cabinet in the history of the country, which is which was Mr. Vinancio Conuepan, who in... 1952, under President Carlos Ibanez del Campo, served as the Minister of Lands and Colonization, ironically. Oh. The ministry has since been be- renamed the Ministry of National Asset, the Bienes Nacionales, you know. But even in the very progressive female majority cabinet of President Boric right now, there is not a single Mapuche heading and ministry, you know. I mean, only a little bit further down the administrative ladder, we find Miss uh, Luz Vidal Uriqueo, herself Mapuche, as the subsecretary to Women and Gender Party Gender Parity Ministry, Gender Party, Gender Parity Ministry, mm-hmm. which, you know, I got to say, like, in my opinion, 
it's kind of a straw man argument by the political right saying it's like well you don't even have Mapuche representation yeah, here because like, come okay, on you know down, okay I get down. it you know no, but I mean, still like, it's nevertheless it's important to point out that of course like should there be Mapuche you know. representation yes but how dare the right yeah no kidding <laughs> like I mean the, the right's like we would rather women just not ever women just like just have babies and shut up yeah. but God, there's too many women in Boric's thing like, yeah. and how dare you have like, Mapuche okay, in there come on yeah. like if you're gonna make an argument against Body to make a good one. Come on. Yeah. Another thing is the good old racism. So Chileans still to the day have classic. classic. What a classic trope. All oh, right. They still have racist attitudes <clears throat> towards the Mapuche. Yep. Like the stereotype of the lazy or drunk quote unquote Indian is very prevalent still. Actually, I do have multicultural. A, I know. I know people. Multi. I know a person, people person that. Um, like he's from Temuco and he said like his, his parents have a restaurant and like he also told me that usually the, the Mapuche employees there, they're not in good graces there. They like people consider them lazy, drunks, whatever. I can't speak to this. I don't know them. I don't know if it's true or not, but it tells you a thing or two about how people there perceive the Mapuches, you know. I mean, it's like they do the same thing in the U.S. They have this exact same like perception of indigenous people. Like that's like oh we, you know it, or it's the it's the like ironic dichotomy of the, the immigrant that's both stealing your jobs oh, and also too and also too lazy to work yeah, yeah. but also living off the government yeah, and it's, it's just like okay okay yeah. they call this a Schrodinger's immigrant yeah the Schrodinger immigrant <laughs> it is both too lazy to work and also stealing yeah. your job unless you open the box and then you know and then you never know right so that's the thing now the. Nueva Imperial Agreement that we talked about last part, I think, last time, that um, that was put forward by then presidential candidate Elwin was actually it was a step in the right direction because as it was looking for the constitutional recognition of Chile's indigenous people, the creation of the CONADI, which, you know, I just mentioned before, to foster cultural, social, economic development, and the foundation of a special commission for indigenous peoples to foster their political participation. The problem is that it didn't, lay out a definite long-term plan so its interpretation of what its mission is was really subject to the whims of each new administration and you know that you could have seen that in the example of the Konadi. you know it just didn't didn't work out there was really no plan on how to do things so that didn't really go as planned you know another off-sided reason for this conflict is chile's historical treatment of the regions of the reason of the region as if it was like the redheaded stepchild, basically. So like this Aww. had dire consequences in terms Both of infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, just short, short, short straw there. You know, this is this had really heavy consequences in terms of infrastructure and social economic considerations. Now, in spite of its abundance of natural resources, the region has the Araucanía region has the country's highest poverty rate with seventy point four percent. No, probably a little higher since we just adjusted this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Mapuches earn about 70%, sorry, 60% less than the average Chilean. Jeez. Many live in overcrowded, substandard conditions without access to potable water, electricity, and about half the Mapuche population hasn't finished secondary school. And of the older generation, many never learned how to read or write Spanish. Oh, you know? wow. So, yeah, they're really behind there. Now, but since it has always been like this, one could actually make the case that the Mapuche have had a sort of de facto autonomy throughout the last two centuries due to the absence of the state 
which makes it even more difficult for the government to be welcomed back into to the region by the people there. You know I what I mean? I don't understand your argument. No, like, my, no, it's not an argument. It's like what I'm saying is that like they kind of had to make it on their own anyway for the last two ah, centuries. Ah, okay. So now the government goes the like, government has be been like, like, hey, let's you. be friends. And they'd be like, who are you? Yeah, you've <laughs> like, never helped me before. Why yeah. In the times that you've tried to help me, you've you fucked know. me over. So why the hell would I? It's like, I... dad, it has been 30 not years. Like You're not my real <laughs> dad. Yeah, kind of like that. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. That okay. Been, now I see what you're saying. Right. That that's been a different, uh, difficult thing. Okay. Another also very salient key point in understanding the conflict is the violence and the state's handling of the situation, because Chile's handling of the situation in recent years had more of a focus on asserting the state's dominance rather than seeking dialogue. You know. And as I mentioned in part one, in 2007, then President Michel Bachelet implemented the Pinochet-era anti-terrorism law in the region which allows for longer prison sentences and anonymous testimonies if a case is defined as a terrorist act. Now, this has even been condemned by the Inter-American Court of Human Rights in 2014, and before that, in 2013, has been also very harshly criticized by a UN expert on human rights and counterterrorism, Mr. Ben Emerson, and I quote here, The anti-terrorism law has been applied mm. in a confused mm -hmm. and arbitrary fashion that has resulted in real injustice, yep. has undermined the right to a fair trial, and has been perceived as stigmatizing and delegitimizing the Mapuche land claims and protests. Yep. So while the increased presence of law enforcement and the military in the region was at first somewhat successful to subdue the conflict, you know, that kind of worked, it only aggravated it further down the road. Right, because you know? here's the thing. It, so there, this is just a complex ball of wiggly-wobbly, like, wiggly complexness. Wobbly. Because the thing is, is the – going back to the truck drivers. The truck right. drivers are demanding more protections, which they what, – what they mean is more military or, like, police intervention in the Guns. area. However, our police and military have a long history of violation of human rights – a, a violation of human rights, not doing things the way that the, mm. the justice system is set up, which is a problem that Boric is trying to, to like, broach right now. And so the truck drivers are demanding to have this intervention. But if if Boric was like, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, then he would then be sending people who he actively knows are violating human rights to go and give them a pass to go violate more human rights. And so, uh, you, uh, uh, yeah, you know well, what I'm saying? Like, welcome to the presidency, man. You got a way of like, the, like you know, you have different interest groups and yeah, a lot but of it's times like, these interests are There's no way he could with, do, with like he, there's no way he's going to make the truck drivers in any way satisfied with what, what, with what they can do. And I'm not saying he can make the Mapuche happy either, But there's no way he can he can support this anti-terrorism act. It there's just no there's no way. Like he would have to send like an outside force of peacemakers or something for it. To, like because it can't, it can't be the police. It can't be the police. Right, it can't be the military. In a way, something that has been proposed before. But I'm getting to that. But okay. yeah, but it's it's you know as I said, like this this whole thing has worked for a while because sure. people were just kind of like beaten into submission, if you will. But then, talking about, like, the resurgence of splinter yeah. groups, they were like, you know what, fuck that. Viva la resistance, you know? And then they just, like, things got more violent, and so much so that actually in mid-2018, shortly after his election, then-president, our good old friend Piñera, he even deployed Piña, a special Pineville. forces unit of the Carabineros, a 
GOPE, as it's called here, like SWAT. They were specially trained by the Colombian law enforcement in counterinsurgency and counterterrorism tactics with a focus on drug trafficking rings and organized can, crime. Can we not compare the Mapuche <laughs> to the fucking drug cartels in Colombia that are just like shooting down civilians left and right? It's like, can, can we, can we, can we really, because I really think that's what the right wing mm. thinks it is. They think that the, the quote unquote Mapuche, like even the most extreme Mapuches are not, not bringing out some AR-50, 18s, I don't know what they're called, and like plowing down yeah, a bunch th- of people th- in th- the I streets. The is that they're conflating these things, you know, the thing is that. Is there a violence and terrorism problem in the South? I think there is. To a certain yeah, I'm extent. not saying there's and not. And I think there's probably also like a drug trafficking problem in the South. Now, the question is, how much of the Mapuches are responsible for that? And that's the big question. Okay. Right. Are, are you part of this or are you just bystanders? It's, it's the same you thing that we were talking here, about with you know? immigrants. It's the exact same thing we were talking about with the immigrants on our immigrant episodes. It's like, are there drug problems? Yes. Can you find immigrants that are that are trafficking in drugs, yes. Yeah. But is that even close to the majority of the people that are here? Not Absolutely, not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, so it's, and it's so easy, because it is so easy to convince somebody that it is everyone, right? It's So yeah, in this slide, it's also not very clear of how much of a role drug trafficking plays in the region, whether it is actually linked to the Mapuche activist groups for the financing, or whether those are merely opportunists that make use of the chaos in the region and conveniently frame the Mapuche activists for it, you know. So even the president of uh, regional pro-business group and now regional governor of the Araucanía region, Luciano Rivas, you might have heard of him, even he didn't point the fingers at the Mapuches, even though he's kind of center-right, you know. He's, he was stating that these individuals frequently wear masks. And there's no telling of who, who, who it might be and whether it's in the name of the Mapuche cause or on behest of a drug trafficking ring with, with the goal to create a no-go area uh, where they'd have free reign, basically. So he was just like, hey, I don't know if it's the Mapuche or not, so I'm, I'm not pointing fingers here. He was like, there's a problem, but I don't know if it's a Mapuche. Mm. Little sidebar, by the way, you remember the guy Emilio Berkov that we talked about last time? He was like the first guy who got arrested on drug charges that was linked to the Mapuche cause. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he he was actually just sentenced to six years and two days in prison, but not for the drug charges, but armed robbery. <laughs> and by that time, he already almost spent two years in custody for the drug charges, but he was never sentenced for that. So I don't know. Something tells me that these charges just don't stick. They just want to get him out of the picture. That's Hmm. You know, and is he going to get time here? served? Nope, because it's a different thing from a different region. Like they actually ah. applied for that, but they were like, "Nah, that's a different thing. That's drug trafficking." Um, because that what he got sentenced for was uh, armed robbery. So. I mean, if he if he did it, then okay. Well, here's the thing: if he did something, then he should be put in jail. However, you sh- have the right to. I don't think you should be waiting two years to be sentenced for something. That's bullshit. Yeah, on top of that, right? That's bullshit. Like, if you're found guilty, then you need to be sentenced. Yeah, and I got the impression that, like, because it, it caused like a big brouhaha back then. Brouhaha. Like, brouhaha. Because they were like, oh, my pooch is drugs, whatever, whatever. And now, I don't know, like, I might be wrong, but now that, like, two years later, he eventually gets sentenced, but for a different thing, it's kind of like tells me they tried to make this these charges stick, but they probably didn't stick because he might not have done it. Who knows, you know? But they're and trying like to you said, they've put already. Him away. It, it, do, it doesn't. It's so, it's so hard, right? Because we know 
that the government has planted evidence against the against against Mapuche. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 know that, and so it's it, and that's why when we were talking about last week the case with the the fire that killed. Uh, the, the, the elderly couple, yeah. there were a lot of McKay people. Yeah, there yeah. were a lot of people in that trial who were found um, not guilty. And there were a lot of things like planted evidence. Was this planted? Was this blah, 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 blah. How much culpability can we actually say was there? Like you, it is, irres- if you want to say X person or X people are guilty of these things, you lose all of your credibility when you plant evidence, when you try to do it the fucked up way, because you you've lost your credit. But now I'm not, I don't believe you for anything. Yeah. Hey, you want to plant evidence, man? Do it right. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. It's like you use, lose your credibility because now I don't believe you at all. Right. And let's say these these people did do it. You've lost all your credibility now. Yeah. And now, no, we don't know. Yeah, nobody believes and, you. And anymore. now we don't know. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it, it's it's a difficult thing, right? And you know, there there there's also like the suspicion, like talking about planting evidence or basically falsely accusing people. There's also the suspicion that some of the arson that has been perpetrated by the forestry companies, that like and they've that, done it themselves, that themselves exactly, yeah. like committing insurance fraud, basically. Yeah. The leader of the CAM, Hector Yaitul, he even claimed that the attack on the TVN reporter crew in March 2021 was carried out by hired gunmen, possibly Mapuche, to undermine the Mapuche's efforts to turn public opinions against them. Now. It's got to be taken with a grain of salt. He's got a lot to lose there. All of these things, grain of salt. However, all of these things, grain of salt, like that, the um, the reporter stuff, I'm I'm not sure about. But I know that, for example, the forestry companies have directly benefited from money that they have gotten from insurance companies. They have, um, and some of the, and and some of the, I think was it Pinguino? Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there something where a forestry worker was even like found with some with something? What was it? After a fire with incendiary materials, <laughs> he was like, "That's not mine." Yeah, exactly. And so, and then again, that was one of those cases where they were the, where the forestry company and those people were going to directly financially benefit right. from that particular thing being on fire. And it's like you've lost all your credibility. Yeah. So something that supports actually the hypothesis of the Mapuche groups groups engaging. And I don't know where this accent come from. So let me do this again. So. <laughs> Mario. <laughs> it's, it's me, me Mario. Mario. Now, something that supports the hypothesis of Mapuche groups engaging in illicit drug trafficking drug trafficking is that some of these smaller and more violent resistance groups, such as the WAM, they came out of nowhere, yet are far better equipped than the big daddy CEM, you know, sporting assault rifles and even camouflage uniforms. But does that so, mean that they're trafficking no, drugs? No, that doesn't does, mean, but it's... Or does it that mean of, they're trafficking arms, which are two different things? Right, but they have to finance this whole thing in a right, way. Right, but you can, but okay, again. Look, I'm, I'm not saying that this is it. I'm saying, okay, no, no, this no, is no, something that can be used to support this hypothesis that they are financing their operations somehow oh, big sure. time. Oh, sure. All, all I'm trying to say is we were just, weren't we just talking, I don't know if it was off air or not, about yeah, there are a lot of being, a lot of arms trafficking from Argentina in that area. So it could maybe just be, I don't know. I mean, again, again like you said, you have to finance it in some way, but yeah. I, th- that, I mean, if... Any sort of rebellion group is gonna try to arm themselves, unfortunately. Yeah, right. But what, like the author was saying, that like the CAM, who was also no stranger to violent attacks, like they are not as well equipped as the WAM, and they everybody is just like, where'd you get the where stuff? Where did these kids get the stuff from? You know, like they've been around for like two seconds, and 
Where'd you get that? <laughs> like you yeah. have no influence here. So that's kind of hinky. You know, I, I kind of get that. Hinky panky. Hinky panky. So now talking about the, the rural violence that I've uh, oh, yeah, teased before, the... like that, that is another problem because that is a label that is used to categorize incidents related to the political conflict in the zone. And that is problematic for two main reasons. One is that as the pressure was mounting on the investigative police, the PDE, to present some results, they switched tactics and they started tailing suspects, hoping that they catch them redheaded doing whatever, you know? Oh, God. And when they did, more often than not, it was classified as rural violence, even though it might have nothing to do with the greater Again, conflict. Again, let but them they need cow to... tip. It's fine. Yeah, but they probably were under pressure. It was like, okay, we need you to, I don't know how it works, but like in the States, they have quotas, you know? Yeah, like like this, uh, like at the end of the month, like you have to have pulled over X amount of people, so you don't want to be speeding on the highway at the end of the month, because you'll probably get pulled oh, over. Good tip. Good tip. So, yeah. So I think I don't know if it works like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. If we're like, okay, we need like you were, you've X been tailing cases. this guy for three weeks. Why haven't you found anything? Yeah, yeah and also like, hey, you you're down on your rural violence quota, like, and they I don't know, probably they I, I'm exaggerating, but maybe they caught this guy like peeing against a wall. They we're like, aha, violence <laughs> against this wall, <laughs> mural <laughs> violence, <laughs> boom. <laughs> So that is the thing. Another thing is that the rural, the rural, God, that's such a tongue twister for rural. me. Sorry. The rural, I can't even say rural. The rural violence. Rural, rural violence. Rural. You gotta say. It's, <laughs> it's rural. The rural violence is not an official label with a clear definition or a central database with a, re- a record of all incidents. So basically, every government institution, the PDI, the Carabineros, local municipality, whatever, they each have their own registry of rural, viol- rural violence incidents and each one has their own definition of what qualifies as such. So since there's no clear definition of what an act of rural violence actually is, and since there's no central database, we actually don't really know how many incidents are actually related to that conflict as such. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it a completely made-up label. Okay. And people were like, okay, there's so much violence going on because it's all classified as that. But it could be we overreported. Just, we, it we, could be underreported. Like you said, mural you know? violence. We just caught this guy spray-painting a wall, and he's like 18 years old. Oh, right. we could take you in for rural violence. Yeah. And headline next day, Arukani is on fire. It's like, okay, what? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, okay. Exaggerating again, but you get my point, right? So, yeah, now... State's failure to recognize that the Mapuche nation is not a monolith, as I said before, and their policy of not negotiating with terrorists, quote-unquote, it complicates the situation even further because, and now we're getting into the part where we're talking about possible solutions here, according to a CIIR poll, which is the Centro de Estudios Interculturales e Indígenas, Center for Intercultural and Indigenous Studies, more than 70% of the Mapuche population prefers a peaceful solution and the majority prefers to remain part of the state of Chile. Yet the absence of the Chilean state in terms of support has bred discontent and made the Mapuche mostly autonomous as they have been living de facto free from the state's influence anyway you know the, the point that i made before yeah, the state hasn't been helping them so yep and this gave rise to more radical elements within the movement you know they were like we don't need you anyway so the government needs to tend to the mapuche's most basic urgent claims in order to win over the popular vote for this community and smother separatist ambitions and nip them in the bud you know what i'm saying nip nip, nip in the bud what you said before it's just like okay yeah there are always like a few people that were like you know that's just like you know death to all white chileans you know but those are like three people and most of the mapuche community it's just like no we don't want that shit we would just like for you to stop like yeah. uh, stop uh, killing us yeah, please give and some give of us some of our land and back and, and give um, a bit more you know yeah please <laughs> but um, we're cool you're stop cool. blaming cool. us for everything yeah. everybody cool you know chill out so Simpatico. yeah right <laughs> Now, 
the problem is that the state has been failing to recognize that the Mapuche nation, as I said before, I'm repeating myself, it's not a monolith, was not one single representation, but at the same time, it does not want to negotiate Pineda, with terrorists. Yeah, and Pineda fucked up with this whole anti-terror. Like, that's what he did. He was I, just like, was actually, I don't want to listen to anything. Bachelet. Just Okay, right. yes, but Pineda, like, pushed it a little step yeah, further. Yeah, yeah. No, we talked about that last, we talked about that mm. last um, episode about how, like, Bachelet was the one who, like, started it, but it was, like, ramped up by yeah, Pineda, yeah. especially because the conflict ramped up with Pineda, and he basically was just like, eh, go fuck yourself, basically. Well, and su- summing it up, yep. So, yeah, they have, li- they have this, they have this policy very much like the U.S., like they, we don't negotiate with terrorists. But then again, like who do you negotiate with? Because who's the, there is no single spokesperson. So at some point, they will have no choice than to basically reach out to different groups to say, right. okay, we got to we got to come Mapuche to the. Are terrorists. No, you can't do that. But Hashtag also, not like, all but for example, the CAM is like a very big and influential organization which has resorted to violent tactics. And okay, good for you if you don't want to negotiate with terrorists, but they hold a lot of sway. So right. you want to get on the good side of the Mapuche community, you better talk to these guys. Now, these guys don't want to talk to you right now. That's a different thing. How do you how do you earn the trust? How do you earn the trust? And that's a different, yeah. Now, actually, one of the one of the suggestions that Hector Yaitul made was, and because since he was saying, just don't compare like Chile and Mapu- the Mapuches with like the FARC in Colombia, he actually said, look, how about we implement a mechanism similar to those used in Colombia when the government negotiated with the FARC including international observers that would hold the Chilean government to the word, you know, mm-hmm. which apparently is something that has been presented to Pineda, but Pineda hasn't really... No, Becca. Yeah, no, no, he, he just like... Say, yeah. but I, that, I think Pineda's just been checked out for the past two yeah, years. Yeah, probably, yeah. But yeah, but that was actually a proposal that came from Hector Yantun, you know, he was just like, why not? You know, since international observers, let's just try to negotiate, but we mm-hmm. need somebody, we need like... A, a third party. Yeah, a third party, a escrow, if you will, <laughs> somebody who goes like, okay, I'm going to hold you responsible to this mm-hmm. whole thing. And it's certain, it, it did work in Colombia to a certain extent, but it, you know, it I mean, work. there are actually international bodies that uh, represent indigenous rights but it's quite complicated to get into those courts. And that might be something that I don't know if I, I have no idea. If somebody knows this, they should reach out to like a podcast and like fill us in. But I don't know if the Mapuche have thought about going that route to international courts. Because there are international courts that represent indigenous people. But mm-hmm. you have to like apply and it's a very long process. Um, and it actually worked in, I believe, Peru where oh. the indigenous people's land had been taken over and their like their last little slice of land was about to be taken over by a like um, industrial company, company. <laughs> okay. and the Peruvian government had approved it and so the indigenous community went outside of Peru to this international body and like pled their case like for like this is a human rights thing yeah and they were given their land back. And so I don't know if, I mean. Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't know about that. But that yeah. sounds like a. My fiance wrote a thesis about it. Oh, right. I don't know. I'm probably getting a lot of little details wrong. But I know that there's an international body that people can go to. And I, and, but the thing is, is not a lot of people, again, there's a reason why a thesis was written about it. Not a lot of, I think, communities are aware of it. And there has to be certain parameters. Yeah. But maybe that could be an option right for for what they say like if they want a third party international body or somebody to say like um this has to be this right. way or you know or else i guess <laughs> that might be an option i don't know yeah yeah that sounds like a good way forward i don't know they should consider that i'm not an expert 
expired. Another thing is that a revision of the anti-terrorism law and its discriminatory application to cases involving Maputo, as well as the demilitarization of the zone, seems to be inevitable. I think we don't really need to discuss, which is now happening, actually, because they ended the state of emergency. Right. And even though this idea, I got to say, like this idea has drawn a lot of criticisms, no less from the regional governor of the Araucania region. Because, I mean, I get it. Like, on the one hand, you want to end the state of emergency, you want to demilitarize the zone, you want to basically just extend your hand, being like, okay, I want a dialogue. This is my gesture, like no more uh, military in the zone, you know. This is my gesture. Yeah. But then also people there were just like, what are you doing? Like, there's still shit going down. We need protection, you know. So I get get both sides. It's it's a risky move. It's a very risky move. So... um, Another thing is that also cases of police violence against members of the Mapuche community, they have to stop and pass instead of have to have to be investigated. There, need to, there needs to be closure with that. You sure. know, because this is, I mean, very much like the BLM movement in the States, I'd say, you know, people were sure. like, OK, we need some justice here. What's going on? Yeah. And also, of course, like discrimination, <clears throat> sorry, discrimination against. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. OK. Discrimination against the Mapuche is also something that needs to be addressed, you know, while the Mapuche have learned to live in two societies, the white Chileans, the Wincas, as you said before, they have not. You know, that's that's really not fair either. Like mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. learned how to assimilate, but then in a way, I think it's fair to expect from the quote unquote white Chileans to also know a thing or two about Mapuche culture, you know. Yeah, I mean, because it's not, I mean, the eradication of uh, indigenous cultures, uh internationally is something that has been huge and chile has really taken no steps to respect to show any sort of respect to the mapuche to the history of the mapuche no people respect. none no like i mean the u.s sucks with indigenous rights but we at least have like some history lessons in our history classes about like indigenous peoples right. not that they're always accurate but there's there. mention there like right. the i feel like the history in chile in general there's just like let's just just like go past all of this stuff and let's just yeah. talk about, Actually, as, about as like, did you you pinguino went to high school yeah, there's no mention of nothing really like it teaches the indigenous <laughs> it, they're there yeah, they tell the indigenous, you know, like the practices, uh, the, what happened when Colón, like when, not Colón, um, Pedro Valdía yeah. got here, and they suck them, and they... They all the ate Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, together, yeah. No, 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 but like, they do say, you know, like, it was a bloodbath. Oh, okay, that, well, then uh, maybe But that, it, that just doesn't, but nothing more than, more than that. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there needs to be a bit more education on, on this whole thing among the populace, if you will. Populace. And also... Of course, the teaches that the Mapuches did come and burn something under the ground. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, cool. That part. Right. And, you know, also the infrastructure in the area that needs to be overhauled, because as I mentioned before, it's really behind the rest of the country. So basically that the population there has access to water, electricity, healthcare, education, all those good things, which then, you know, Studies have proven this will translate into higher employment rate too. Right, I mean, in in this, that you know, that's nationwide. Just out of poverty. Right, and if, again, if there, we've talked about this with the immigration thing as well. If there's a connection between the Mapuche and drugs, it's just the same. It's it's very similar to the connection with immigrants and drugs. Mm. It's like if you have no access, if you are in the poorest part of the population and you have no resources, and someone comes to you and be like, oh, bro, you can actually provide for your family if you sell a few of these things, 
it would make no like you would have to have a very 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 high moral standard to not do it and also i mean if you consider the de facto absence of the state they were like okay exactly. what, what's my risk here uh, next to none <laughs> yeah they already think i'm they already think i'm a heathen they already think i'm a delinquent anyway All i right. might as well like not starve to death in the meantime yep yep so it makes sense it's a good point yeah. yeah right and i mean the elephant in the room is of course Pinguino. the return no, that's, that's <laughs> a penguin in the room but okay, oh, okay. the return that is the return of at least part of the mapuche lands like that needs to also sure. happen now i found something interesting here that was one study from cipe which is like you know the central investigative center or whatever like they found that most attacks that have been carried out in that area used to have the most advanced and organized Mapuche settlement in pre-Hispanic times due to the abundance of natural resources and arable land. So culture is a factor here. They, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that was interesting because it was interesting because they found that the common factors usually cited as the main reason for the conflict, you know, which is like, you know, uh, the presence of Mapuche communities, forestry plantation, uh, infrastructure, uh, okay. schools, hospitals, and also uh, schools and hospitals. Like, they had a very low correlation with the conflict itself. They, they ran the numbers. They were like, okay, places where there were, like, you know, big forestry companies or there were no infrastructure. And then, okay, those are the places. But where were the conflicts? And they were like, they were not necessarily there, right. interestingly. And they said, and they kind of mapped this out. And they found that the conflicts were usually in, in this uh, basin of the, oh, what are they called? The whatever river, I don't I don't remember the name of okay. the river there, but th those were the areas where in pre-Hispanic times, a lot of Mapuche settlements were, or basically the most advanced Mapuche settlements were located, situated, okay. you know, and they had like very, very, let's quote unquote, organized, quote unquote, advanced, because as you mentioned before, like the Mapuche was not, not like the Inca empire, they were very, all over the place, but these yeah. settlements were very self-sustaining. Important, right. So, like, you could draw a conclusion from that saying that, okay, culture is very relevant here because, in a way, people that live there feel very protective of these lands. Of those spaces. Of these spaces. Right. So they, the point that they were making is, okay, if you're going to be repatriating those lands, start with those because uh, that might actually yeah. de-escalate this quickly, you know. And yeah, of course, and, and it also, yeah. you're, I mean... Weird to say, but you're also not having to immediately shut down those um, forestation industries because you also have to consider, like it or not, how shutting down certain factories and taking certain lands over is going to affect the economy and et cetera, yep. et cetera, and inflation and all those that good stuff. So if you th if these other areas are important yeah, yeah why not what's yeah. what's the downside i mean of course I there's, mean, there's, sure there's certain downsides. activity sure, in exactly. these areas blah, blah 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 but yeah no it's a good point that you make because forestry companies of course they need to be also open to negotiation with negotiation negotiations with community leaders if they want to continue to operate in peace i mean sure. they're not gonna look like it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen that the forestry company is gonna stay there and mapuche is gonna be just they're gonna burn them to the ground eventually but they're not gonna be able to kick him out or you know completely you know this is not mm -hmm. gonna happen either so they need to come to terms at some point they're saying okay look what can we do so that we can coexist here in peace right might sound a little bit utopic here but in a way they need to come I mean, together and talk and say okay what is acceptable here because the alternative for the forestry companies is to live with a lot of burnt equipment <laughs> this is not going to be financially sustainable for them right. in the long run you know right yeah or the truckers the same thing like the truckers are like oh but our safety i'm like okay cool that's your that is exactly what we want for you too but if you put a lot of 
police in that area, you are not ensuring your safety. It's probably the exact opposite that's going to happen. Yeah. So no, no, no. Uh, it's it's a fine line there. So anyway, line is that fine. that that that's everything that I have now. Now you all know everything there is to know about the Mapuches. Everything that was. Quite no, deep I mean, me. <laughs> again, we have not gotten even really past a lot of the layers of the complexity of this conflict. Um, we know that there is so much more. If there is something pertinent you feel like we did not mention, feel free to message us, email us. Absolutely. At Today Podcast. We we understand, we, we're just doing the best we can here as non-Mapuche. If you are Mapuche and you want to like come and talk to us, oh, like, yeah. hey, heck yeah, we'd love to hear your perspective. And, you know, I, we are so open to that. We understand that we're only, we're still removed from this. So, um, but yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed that and learned as much as we did because I learned a, a crap ton. Mm-hmm. But so, load. Yeah, a buttload. So, um, also, don't forget to follow us on Patreon, support us. Um, uh, you can get some benefits from that too. If you're living in Santiago, basically pays for itself. Uh, if not, you can just always support us and you can get some tips for when you decide you want to travel here. Like I said, best places to watch international games, tips, brunch places, tips, all these sort of things, like all tips sorts about of tips, just the tip. And, and remember the, what's the event? The horrible movie night on May 12th. On May 12th. Yeah. So that starts at 8 PM at the Black Rock pub. And we're going to be watching Spice Black World. Rock Black Rock Pub. Yeah. So this is going to be up good. Your life. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And when in doubt, Gringo out. Ciao. Bye. The Chile Today podcast is hosted by Lennart Kluge and Bethany Francis and produced by Diego Pinguino Rivera. For more information on the news topics you heard today, check out chiletoday.cl.